0: read from Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation in just a moment. Habakkuk chapter 1. Most of us are aware because your pastors here have been men of faith. They've taught on faith. Your pastors taught me on faith. And we all know that our faith is supposed to grow. I think we all understand that, that we are each given a measure of faith. And what we do with that measure determines whether that faith remains at, at an initial infant level where it grows and matures through the years. And so we understand that, that that's something God gave us. And we all start out with the same amount of muscles, but we all don't look the same muscular-wise, right? And so it's how you use it and what you do. with and so, and, and it. And to be sure, most of the time, this is the case, that, that our, our, our faith grows. But when you're serving God over the long haul, you know, I got saved in 1971, so it's been a long journey with the Lord. And one of the things that happens along the way is things get cloudy. Things get confused. Things happen to you that really weren't on your faith radar. Things transpire in our lives that we didn't plan on, we didn't, we didn't make room for. And, and sometimes it's like God seems erratic. Or he's like he's driving impaired somehow. And that it's not a straight path to where we're going. It's just it's this erratic path, and and sometimes it's he's so unpredictable. And we know that God is utterly reliable, unchanging in nature, in character, and purpose. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that from the Word. But what about those times when God allows things to happen that almost seem like a contradiction of Himself? That almost seem like something. You know, how could you? Let this happen. And so one of the great mysteries about God sometimes is how unpredictable he can be. And you're trying to, you've, you, you've, you have the word before you, you're reading it, and it just seems to be a pattern there. And yet at times things happen that we were not prepared. You know, Abraham waits years and years and years for a miracle son to be born to him. And after this son is born to him, that he's waited so long for, gone through so many trials to, to acquire God says, now take this son that I give you that you love so much and sacrifice him back to me. Now, I can guarantee you, Abraham never saw that coming. He was never expecting God to say, I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to take him back. That was not on his, in his plan. That was not in his, in his future, in his own mind. And so it's, it's God's unpredictability sometimes that tries our faith, but ultimately cements it. When you read your Bible this morning, you are reading about a God who story after story shocked, surprised, and consistently was unpredictable in the lives of those who served him. The Jews waited for centuries for a Messiah. Prayed for about him, preached about him, sang about him, and when he arrived, they didn't even know him. They, they never imagined in their wildest dreams that God would fulfill everything they'd been crying out to him for, and yet when Jesus showed up, They were not ready for him. When Jesus came as Messiah, nobody expected him to talk to women. Nobody expected him to talk to children, eat with sinners, challenge religious leaders, and show kindness to Romans. Nobody expected the way that he lived. And so this is the thing that when you you start living for the Lord through the years, you begin to realize sometimes your faith can become very fragile. Because the things that are happening to you in your family, in your finances, and your health, and your ministry are things you hadn't planned on. What I want to talk to you about this morning is cultivating a faith that is strong enough to handle the inconsistencies. To handle the contradictions. And I want to take the life of the prophet Habakkuk as a template for how we learn to deal with God's paradoxical workings. Because God has a way of doing things that we never would imagine. Habakkuk to give him a little background, a little context, he lived in very dangerous times. The once great Assyrian empire that had ruled and, 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 and uh, uh, lorded over everyone for many, many centuries is, is gone now. And there's a new kid on the block, and he's from a place called Babylon. And so Babylon is rising up, Assyria has is, is, uh, fallen off the scene. And so what was happening was Assyria was picking off or Babylon was picking off all the former Assyrian strongholds. Any place that Assyria had established a stronghold, Babylon's come behind them now. They're more powerful, have more money, greater armies, and they are picking off these little colonies. And the northern kingdom of Israel was one of those colonies. It was one of those places where Assyria had dominated, and now Babylon is going to dominate. So the whole picture is here, things are not going well in the promised land. These are God's chosen people. These are God's anointed people. And yet the land they live in, there is injustice, there is anger, there is violence, uh, there is idolatry, there's every kind of uncleanness. uh, And despite all the prophetic warnings, despite all the preaching of the prophets, uh, nothing has changed and God's people have ignored him. Injustice, idolatry are rife. And Habakkuk lifts his voice in the first chapter of his book, And he says these words, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry. But you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. That sounds like this morning. In America, I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The laws become paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts, and the wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. I want you to see three things from this text this moment, this morning. One is a prayer here of protest. It's a prayer of protest. This is not what this this these words by Habakkuk are not what we usually uh, associate with prophets. We're used to prophets being the quality control people. We're used to them coming and saying to the people what God has said to them. And we imagine them as like an archbishop sort of a person that comes into a church and kind of sets things straight. But this prophet is different. And this prophecy is different because here he is not speaking for God. He is speaking to God. And literally, he is speaking back to God, and his prophecy kicks off with an unedited moan, an unedited cry about the state of the world that he lives in. And instead of being a mouthpiece for God, he's mouthing off to God. And this is not a prayer that you'd have printed up and put on your, your office wall. How long, O oh Lord? Why must I deal with all this misery? There it is, new, new T-shirt for the church. No, this is a man who's upset. This is a prayer of protest. It's a prayer of impatience. It's a prayer of rare honesty and raw emotion. And like Job, one of the things we learn from Habakkuk is that when you have a problem with God, the best place to take it is back to God. And like Job, he's wearing his heart on his sleeve. He's not holding back. He's not speaking religiously. He's not trying to impress. He's upset. He's hurt. He's wounded. He's discouraged. He's unsure and uncertain of the future. And because of that, he comes before God with this prayer protest, uh, and and he's he's speaking to God, The, the the kind of things only God can hear and make any sense of. One of the things I learned through the years in pastoring was that my deepest questions about God can only be answered by God. My deepest confusions about God are not going to be answered by somebody. I can't just go to somebody and say, tell me, explain this to me. Your deepest questions have to be answered by God. They'll only be unraveled sometimes in conversation and even confrontation with Him. It's awkward for most Christians to think about confronting God. It's awkward for most of us to even think about a prayer of protest. But from the Jewish perspective... This is how they approached God. In the Jewish world, an intimate faith was at times a tenacious faith. In the Jewish understanding, in the Jewish relationship with God, that even to the point sometimes that the Jews were very pushy with God. You'll see this throughout the Scripture, that from time to time, you'll see these Jewish patriarchs in dealing with God, they complained to Him. They pushed back with Him. Abraham protested and bargained with God concerning the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, listen, you're going to destroy everybody. What if there was like, what if, you know, what if there's 40 righteous people there? Well, I wouldn't destroy those 40. What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? What about my friend? And you can see him pushing because this is something we don't understand. Because a lot of times we come before God, we come before with almost a, a mask on. And we're telling him what, he, what we think he wants to hear. What he really wants to hear is your heart. I was reading the other day a little, some advice on prayer. Someone said, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Yeah, keep it simple, transparent, keep it real, okay, and keep it up. In this conversation that he's having... You'll find over and over in the Scripture these conversations that people had where there was a pushback. Jesus in the the story of the Syrophoenician woman who wouldn't take no for an answer about her sick daughter. Remember, she brings him to Jesus, wants him to to be healed. And he says, shall I take bread uh, off the children's table and give it to dogs? She doesn't go, well, I guess uh, sorry, I asked. She pushes back and says, you know what? Even the puppies eat the crumbs from off the table. And Jesus says, Toots, you got faith. It's basically what he says in a different translation. He commends her faith. And so one of the things Habakkuk is showing us is if you're going to have a, a, a faith that is strong and tenacious, there must be some pushback in you. That is unwilling to accept things as they are, unwilling to say, well, that's just the way things are. Things are going down the tubes. That's a sign of the last days. Nothing we can do. And so he doesn't do that. He cries out to God for answers. That this is not in this is not consistent with your nature. Habakkuk is showing us the cure for a fragile faith involves some boldness. Instead of sweeping our intellectual questions under the rug, instead of unanswered prayers being put under the carpet, it's in a dialogue with God where you're most likely to find some answers. Rather than burying our doubts. Can I tell you something about God? He's not afraid of your doubts. You're not going to scare him. Oh, I got a doubter on my hands down here. He can handle your doubts. He can handle anything you bring to him. He's really, really good at it. You can complain to him. He gets that a lot. (laughs) He understands that. And so there's something here that you see that rather than burying that, the Scriptures reveal over and over these robust conversations, even arguments between God and His most cherished leaders. Because the biblical model for relationship with God is total transparency. It's not hiding what you feel. It's not hiding what you're afraid of. It's not hiding what you're going through. It's not hiding the weaknesses and the wounds. It's walking into them. The biblical model is transparency. And I, for one, am grateful. If the questions, the challenges, and the doubts have not been airbrushed out of the Bible. They're preserved there for us as part of the infallible, unchanging, eternal Word. And it's just too easy sometimes to settle for some prepackaged, disengaged faith that happily goes along and flows and avoids all the tricky questions. But that's not the faith of our Bible heroes. People in the Bible, their faith was a lot messier <laughs> than, we said, than we understand. They had a messy faith, it went off the rails sometimes. It got, it, got, it got cranky sometimes. And each of them's relationship with God had its ups and had its downs. This happened to Habakkuk as well. So here he is. It's his prayer of protest first. He's upset. He's mad. He's angry because nothing's going the way it should go. And he's t- letting God have an earful. How long is this with, you You know, the misery? How long do I have to see all this anyway? And so here's the second thing is when things go from bad to worse. <laughs> Anybody here ever have anything go from bad to worse? Lord, I'm just resting this with you. I'm casting all my cares upon you. This is what happens in the text. The prophecy of Habakkuk is set up as a dialogue. When you read the whole book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk or Habakkuk, whatever you want, there's a dialogue here. Habakkuk complains, God responds. Habakkuk complains, God responds. And in the last chapter, Habakkuk reflects on all that he has said to God and all that God has said to him. And there is a a back and forth structure of this book, which is a powerful picture to me of God's willingness to engage me, his willingness to listen to me. His willingness to allow me to voice the concerns, to voice the, the areas where I, 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 it's inconsistent. It doesn't seem to line up because I don't understand. I'm not big enough to see it. But he lets me go on like you do with kids. He responds to our questions. He responds to complaints. And he responds to doubts. And Habakkuk prays to God about contradictions, about the paradoxes he sees in the world. And in his own time, he says, the corruption of the legal system is supposed to protect people, but it's not. The righteous who are supposed to define the nation are held in contempt. And most of all, the seeming inactivity of God in the face of unrelenting evil. Anybody in this room ever have something happen to you that was patently unfair? That was just stone cold, unrighteous that's what's happening to Habakkuk in his mind life in the promised land is not working out so great why has God allowed this why is evil going unpunished and the righteous are being persecuted why does it look like we're losing in chapter 2 you can begin to read God's response to Habakkuk's prayer of protest And this is where the unpredictability of God steps in once again, because Habakkuk is concerned about how badly things are going. He's concerned because he sees the nation going and swirling down the drain. And God answers him in chapter 1, verse 5. And he says, The Lord replied, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They're notorious for their cruelty, and they do whatever they like. Habakkuk has prayed for God's help. His nation's in a free fall. He's crying out for God to do something, and God says, You know what? Worse is coming. Stand on your feet and give God praise. That's what he tells him. You think this is bad? I'm raising up the Babylonians. You think what you're seeing now, the injustice and the violence and the arguing, and the, and the, you think that's bad? I'm raising up the Babylonians. A cruel, violent, and they're going to do whatever they want. I'm giving you, and he, I'm giving you into the hands of, Of those people. The unexpected, unbelievable, unpredictable something that God is going to do involves a terrible judgment. And now for Habakkuk, things have gone from bad to worse. Imagine being a Jew of that day. And what God is about to do is mind-boggling. And he's responding in a totally opposite to what they prayed for. And these kind of events, these kind of historical shifts are not for people that have a fragile, sunshiny faith. They can't handle change. Can't handle judgment. Can't handle God being God. Imagine the shock of Habakkuk when God revealed this was his response to the sins of his chosen people. There's a term that governments use for Massive, unforeseen events that happen among nations. Events like 9-11. Events that no one saw coming. But events that are so profound and so impactful, they change everything. And they call them black swan events. Because for a long time it was believed that black swans were, didn't exist or were incredibly rare. They aren't that rare. In Australia you'll see them. But the reality is these events that governments plan ahead to build a resilience into the economy so they can withstand these unforeseeable disruptive events, these black swans. For Habakkuk, God's response about Babylon is a flock of black swans landing in his yard. You ever have God do something completely contradictory to what you asked for? Believe him for this, Lord. Oh, I'm going to get this. What? The sermon's called a cure for the, a fragile faith. Because sometimes I recognize over the years how fragile my faith is. My f- faith works fine when I'm getting what I want. But there's no saying, scratch a Christian, find a heathen. That there's something in us, isn't there? Money's flowing, health is good, blood tests are positive. We're dancing in the streets. But do you have a faith this morning that can overcome massive disappointment? Massive disappointment with a child, with a marriage, with a ministry, with a government, with a nation, with the way things are? that can overcome and say, God, I don't, I don't know. I've been asking you, and it seems like you know, you're know you all these things, but I'm not seeing all these things that you say you are, and disappointment rocks your world. Because our worship and faith flow amazing when there's no challenge. When everything's predicted and expected, it's going exactly as I planned. Thank you, Greg and Jesus. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, Shares and writes a lot about the book of Psalms. And in one of his books, he talks about the three stage process of life that you'll find throughout the Psalms. That you'll find people who, number one, they start out securely oriented. When I'm securely oriented, it means I'm securely, I'm I'm right where I should be. Everything around me is in is in is in its proper place and life is going well. I am securely oriented. And many times the Psalms have that secure orientation, all is good, uh, uh, everyone's praising God, life's going wonderful, the securely we trust, it's all good. Second orientation is to be painfully disoriented, that God shocks you at some unexpected turn of events and our faith becomes painfully disoriented. And we're so disappointed in the outcome of events that doubts begin to flare you know, the, Jesus said of John the Baptist, of men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. But even John the Baptist, while he's in prison, he sends a, a note to Jesus because he, he's in prison and he's not being let, he hasn't been released and he hasn't been set free and he, and he has a moment of doubt. Remember that? Are you the one or do we look for another? That wasn't John's whole life. But we all have moments like that. Are you the one? So there's a. we start out securely oriented. And then in life, we'll go through a time of being painfully disoriented. And then God has a way, if we'll be faithful, if we'll trust Him, He will amazingly reorient us. And yet, with that reorientation, we're different. There's, there's a new steel in us. There's a new resiliency in us. You see, the challenge in the American church is not gathering crowds. The challenge in the American church is building resilient disciples who can stand in the face of a culture that's caught up in a digital Babylon that you're going to have to raise people whose faith is grounded in more than high emotions. We move through this in life all the time. you'll you'll be going along fine and all of a sudden you're you're from being securely oriented you're painfully disoriented and then if you hang on and trust God this pattern is all through the Psalms and you'll find David opening up a Psalm Lord I really love you then by the end of it God I'm dead I'm doomed it's all over then he ends but I praise you anyway that's the Psalms we love to read the Psalms they're like milk of magnesia for the soul we love to read them they calm us (laughs) Most Christians, if I had my choice, I'd spend my entire life in being securely oriented. I would live there. I'd build a house there. I would start a nation there of securely oriented people. A lot of people want to live like that. But your faith won't grow like that. Your faith needs challenge. Your faith needs something to to believe for and things to believe against. And a lot of folks, you want to have a comfortable, don't rock the boat, don't dig too deep, don't ask any questions, just go along with your favorite teaching, and everything's okay until it's not, until a black swan shows up in your yard, and now you're off your game. You're disoriented. This is unexpected. This is disconcerting. Everything's blowing up in your carefully planned world. Your faith's now in crisis. I can't tell you how many times I've woken up to a black swan and raising children and pastoring churches, and dealing with financial things. ah. Anybody here with me this morning? Everything's okay until it's not okay. Now my faith's in crisis. You know why? Because my faith is too fragile. My faith was too fragile for real life. It's too fragile for, for, for what you're in raising kids and grandkids and staying married and, and, and dealing with health. It's too fragile. But if you learn anything from the Bible, it's that these disorienting, disruptive events don't have to demolish our faith. In fact, they can deepen our faith. And God will, in fact, reorient my faith upon a far broader and stronger foundation. And building a stronger faith doesn't mean finding ways to avoid the black swan or shoot the black swan. But it means we see through them to something greater on the other side. We know that something greater is on the other side. I love the way the book of Hebrews puts this in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul mentions this and talks about this. New King James, he says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet, talking about Jesus. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. We want to stop right there. Everything's under his feet. Everything's under the feet of everything. Everything, all of it, totally under Jesus' feet. Next verse. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Everything's under his feet, but I don't see everything under his feet sometimes, but I still see Jesus. Old song, when I first got saved, when I first got saved, song services were different. How many you know they were different? Okay, hymnal and stuff. Robin's father was a song leader, like one little guy on the platform, like this. Organ over here, a piano over here, no drums. We had to overcome amazing <laughs> amazing demonic forces to bring drums <laughs> into the church. But I remember an old psalm that things standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll see Jesus. He isn't always right out, he's not always right, you know, the big shiny one in front. Sometimes he's in the shadow. He's in the storm. He's in the whirlwind. He's in the earthquake. We see Jesus. Habakkuk was revealing a facet of God's nature in which sometimes God deliberately destabilizes you. He deliberately unsettles you as his children, not out of spite or cruelty, but with an intention of bringing you to a new level of intimacy, a new level of integrity and humility, and a surprising reorientation that follows the most unsettling events. Let me close with this this morning some clues to the cure. Habakkuk does three things here. The Bible always does three things. (laughs) There's three things. There's three things here about building faith that'll help you to face up to, not shy away from disruptive, unplanned events. And the first is this. You have to recognize, and he talks about this, is that you live from a limited vantage point. What does that mean? It means you can't see there from here. I can't see it. I'm only 5'8. I can't. There's a lot of things I can't see. I can't get away. Get the hat off. I can't see. I can't see. And things that appear inconsistent to us from where we stand is because how little I can actually see from where I am. I can only see a little bit. I can look back. Even some of that's getting foggy. But sometimes I can't see where I'm going. It's not clear. I don't have the vantage point. I'm not high enough. And on your best day, you only see a little of what God's doing. We prophesy in part. We see through a glass dimly. It's not crystal clear. And one of the things you have to understand is that our lives are not like a, you know, uh, you, what's happening in your life right now, what's going on, what the future holds. You just got to take one step at a time, one day at a time, because you can't see it from here. We try to make our lives like a screen grab. We take a picture of our life. There's my life. You know, that was your life then. Two minutes have passed. Your life, your life changed. Since you took that picture, if you were to take a screen grab of any movie, you wouldn't understand the whole movie. If you if you didn't you know if you just I, I took a screen grab from any movie, showed it to you on my phone, say, "What's the movie?" Unless you knew the whole perspective, you wouldn't know what it was about. You would just all you're seeing is what's right in front of you. If you had ever seen the movie, I'm not saying I did, Finding Nemo. And you, I took a screen grab, and, and on that screen grab was a, a, a tiny orange clownfish talking to a huge shark. You, would, you wouldn't have a clue to the plot of that movie. You would think tiny orange clownfish about to be swallowed by a large shark. That's what happens in life. Run, little fish. Right? You would never doubt, you would never guess... You know, this was the start of an underground, uh, underwater, you know, you, you'd think this is the start of a chase scene underwater. What you would never guess is that the shark is a cheerful vegetarian. Right? And he's deeply moved by the clown story, his story of loss and determination. You would never guess, but that's what, that, that's, what that, that's what that, that's what Nemo's about. They're friends. There's a relationship there. And so your life's the same way. You can't take a picture and think that from that picture that you can understand everything that's going on in your life. Listen, compared to the eternal purposes of God in your life, even 10 years is like a freeze frame. There's so much more going on. There's so much, there's so much bigger things going on around us than what's going on in us. You have no idea what God's going to do in your life. You have no idea where God's taking you. You have no idea just by looking at your life where it could end up someday, what it could look like someday. We are so limited in our understanding of the context of what God is doing that we can jump to all kinds of conclusions and find out we're off by a mile. The shark's a vegetarian. I didn't see that coming. Much of my life has been like that. Lord, the shark's a vegetarian, really? Really? Didn't see that coming. I think God just smiles and says, I know. And I like doing this with you. What Habakkuk teaches us this morning is that when we don't understand what God is doing and it doesn't make sense, we need to wait. That's all we have to do. Gotta wait. Without whining, without as the Australian, without whinging. We have to wait. Because it's true, you will understand it better by and by. Chapter 2, Habakkuk, verse 2. Habakkuk 2, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it will not lie, though it tarries wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. See, God is always playing a long game. He's always playing the long game. You can't look at anything and say, this is how it's always going to be because he's playing a longer game than you and I are playing. And God knew that Habakkuk wasn't going to understand what was happening by him allowing Babylon to come in. But God was playing a long game. And honestly, God knew, listen, don't worry about the Babylonians. They're not going to get away with anything. I'll have their leader eating grass like a cow before it's over. And there'll be ruins that tourists go to. And Israel will still be a nation and will still be a people. And my purpose will still be alive in the earth. But he could not see that from where he was. He did not have that kind of vantage point. So we have to wait sometimes to see what God is doing. And I hate to wait. I hate it. Number two, the second clue to having a strong faith is you have to always be able to make a connection to the past. In other words, you have to be able to reach back to God's faithful past in your life. In the same way waiting can help us see what God is doing, looking back can remind us He's always been faithful. How many of you know He's always been faithful? He's never failed. He's never let a single promise go unanswered if you'll wait on it. And the same way waiting can help me see what he's doing and it come to pass. I I can encourage myself that God is faithful. Habakkuk chapter 3. He said, now, I'm going to wait. Now he says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time make them known. In wrath remember mercy. And I'm not going to read the text. But Habakkuk goes on from here. He lists a number of events from Israel's history where God supernaturally sustained them. He remembers Egypt, the soldiers, the Red Sea, the pillar of fire, the ten plagues. He goes back and he's reaching back saying, God, you know what? I, I can't see from here, but I'm going to wait. and I'm also going to reach back and remember how faithful you have been and all that you've brought me through. People sitting in this room, there was a time when you thought, you know what, I don't know this, I can make it much farther. Here you are. You, but you felt at some point, there's been some points in your life you felt it's not going to get any better, this is as good as it gets. But God reached in because He's faithful. Looking back, reminds us of His character, and the things He's done for us. The Lord spoke to me one day, He said, you're going to be embarrassed someday and how fearful you were. You're going to be embarrassed someday that how fearful you were in light of what was going on in your life it'll embarrass you to realize I completely had every single thing under control and there you were, cowering and, you know, it'll embarrass you. I said, oh, again? Isn't that true? We're going to be embarrassed someday of the things we worried about. And the things we stressed about and the things we laid awake at night thinking about because we couldn't sleep, never understanding that if we'll wait, he'll, he's always been faithful, he'll, he'll always be faithful. He's never failed anyone yet. He has an amazing track record. Sometimes God will come through for me on something, and I'm, I'm like, oh, man, why do I have to keep learning the same lesson over and over again that you're, <laughs> that you're faithful? It may feel like that. Why? I, I, it's like a seven thousand times, Greg. Good job. This is why the time you spend in God's word is so precious. My mind plays tricks on me when I'm under the gun. My mind plays tricks on me when I'm under pressure or I'm afraid or I'm insecure where I'm operating out of some woundedness. There's a consistency in God's actions that speaks to my present struggle. That's why the time you spend in his word, the Holy Spirit is helping you. And so first clue to having a stronger faith is realizing I can't see it from here, but if I'll wait for it, it'll become clear. Second thing is, I need to look back and remember his faithfulness at all times and in all places. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thirdly is this, the final clue to cure a, f- a fragile faith involves how you see right now. Be careful how you judge God in your present circumstances. <laughs> Be careful the thoughts you have about him and what you're going through right now. For Habakkuk, it felt like he was on the losing side. Everywhere he looked, things were just getting worse. The Babylonians were stringing together victory after victory, and Judah was their next victim where he lived. And if our love for God is dependent upon appearing to be winning all the time, you're on the wrong team. Our team doesn't look like it's winning right now in America. Did you know that? We don't look like we're winning. Nobody would turn on the things and say, look, Christians are winning in America. Christian churches are winning. No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, that wouldn't be the first thought that come to your mind. And this is why true worship is about living through the ups and downs. True worship is about raising your hands when you don't want to raise your hands. It's about being in your seat, in your place of worship, in the house of God, when you don't really feel like it. Habakkuk knows this. In his final prayer, he models a type of worship that's so counter to the consumer mentality that infects us. In the middle of one of the darkest points in Israel's history, Unsure of what the future holds. This complaining, protesting prophet puts together a song of praise that ought to be part of every believer's life this morning. Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Listen to what he says. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He maketh my feet like hinds feet, King James. You know what that's talking about? I lived for a lot of years. I got saved in Prescott, Arizona. Used to deer hunt a bit. Too much work now. But I'm telling you, dear, when they want to get away, they can run up the side of mountains. You can't even believe it, the capacity they have. They can traverse terrain that you and I would take hours trying to get up and climb. They just, and that's what God says he'll do to your heart. You've, you've made me. Like a deer that I can traverse difficult, treacherous, dangerous territory like twinkle toes. I just zip up that thing. You with me? I just zip up that puppy. Make my feet like a, like a deer. Don't you want to have that capacity to move through life, to move through crises, to move through disappointment, to move through heartache with a heart that remembers, with a heart that waits? and with a heart that trusts, and God, even though I don't see anything, there's no figs, there's no cattle, there's nothing working out here, but you're still the sovereign God, and I will rejoice in you. That's an unshakable faith. That's a, that's a fragile faith, you know, gotten big on steroids. Whatever surprises us, shocks us. God's okay with it. I love what the brother said who was taking the offering. It was just a... God's hands on you, bro, when you speak. This is something about this an anointing that was pretty cool. And this, that God's got it. He's just got it. I don't got it. I don't got it. I'm like, let me out of here. <laughs> I got it. And we need to know that this morning. The cure for a fragile faith. You received that this morning?